0: Apple is tracking you, Google Pixels are victim to a full lock screen bypass, Greece's spyware scandal is getting really weird, and a lot more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 110, where we, or I, am dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. As I alluded to, I am Henry from TechLore, but Nathan is out for the week, but we should hopefully both return next weekend together if all goes well. Here's something new, I actually have surveillance Report updates for you that I'll cover in just a sec after our promo segment. As always people, Patreon and Monero. Patreon is the way that I really would suggest you support us because you get perks and we can also see exactly how much we can expect every month. And it gives us a nice community of our supporters and you can join things like our Q and know Nate last week asked about some perks and I know we're still kind of parsing through that so we actually don't have any formal updates yet to our tiers or anything like that. But we are beginning to look at it and we appreciate all the feedback you've already given. And Monero is the way you can support us privately. If you don't want to deal with Patreon, if you don't want to deal with any personal information pretty much whatsoever, you can just send us Monero and all we can see is how much we received and from an address that's not even yours, we do see your contributions. And so if you have sent us Monero in the past, we see all of that and we very much appreciate it. Now we don't do surveillance report updates very often because this podcast is pretty consistent, but the last week uh, I got a lot of cool things done that I think most of you will be excited for. So the first thing, we have a new website. It is still the same domain, surveillancereport.tech. You can go check it out. It's super bare bones, much simpler. Everything's just condensed to what you need. And it still incorporates a very simple feed, which is cross-posted to Mastodon. The reason I did this is because our old site was pretty much all entirely done by our old hosting provider, just automatically, and I didn't like our old hosting provider, and we're transitioning away from them. More on that soon. And so Nate and I talked it over, and just having a nice simple website, because... Really, you're all listening on like the main platforms. Like You're either on YouTube, Odyssey, or you have your own RSS client. And so we figured that most people aren't actually using the website. And so we'll just have the website be more like a link tree. One cool side effect is our old hosting provider, for whatever reason, almost made it mandatory to use Cloudflare so we no longer use Cloudflare for our website. So go us. I mentioned Mastodon earlier. We have transitioned to a new Mastodon instance. If you were already following us on Mastodon, you should have already been converted over to our new instance without having to do anything because you can easily transition things on Mastodon. That Mastodon is actually directly integrated with our website, and so that feed that I told you is actually auto-posted to our Mastodon, so you don't have to keep checking our website to keep up with the feed. Just follow us on Mastodon. If you're not following us on Mastodon, it's very easy to follow a Mastodon account by just adding, I believe, .rss to any profile. Right now, the Twitter cross is giving us issues, so I'm trying to manually cross-post things onto the surveillance report Twitter, but it's not a priority, to be honest, so if you really want to follow what we're doing, follow us on Mastodon, follow the feed on our website, or follow us via RSS. We now have a new shortened link, which is sr.url.com lol slash sources. It sounds complicated over audio. If you see it in the description, it's actually very clean. This auto directs now to sources. And so right now, if you click it, it'll take you straight to GitHub. This is gonna make it easier for us to change where we post our sources in the future because we're not planning on keeping GitHub forever. And so once we eventually migrate to something new, since you're already using that link, we don't have to update the link for every surveillance report ever posted. Um, With all these changes, the new Mastodon, the new sources and all that stuff, um, I also took the time to update all our links and bios on our platforms to be more universal and link to the correct things. Um, And I also just cleaned things up. Like Odyssey now subscribes to Techlore and the new oil on Odyssey. Um, Our Odyssey profile is pretty much like completely not filled out beforehand. And I also just polished lots of different things up on all our platforms from PureTube to Apple podcast and all that stuff. So everything should be a little bit updated. Almost done. So I mentioned earlier audio hosting. I've never been happy with the audio host that we use for surveillance support. And so we've actually migrated it over to Substack, which does audio podcast hosting. But it's just for hosting. We are not using Substack for anything. We're not aiming to use Substack for anything. We don't even want you to use it. If you're able to find our Substack, which we've intentionally made it very hard to do, Um, it'll actually tell you do not subscribe, visit our website instead. If you skip some of the warnings, there are other warnings that tell you not to subscribe. The pinned post tells you not to subscribe. The about section tells you not to subscribe. And if you somehow avoid the warnings and still subscribe, you know what you're going to receive as a welcome email? an email telling you to check out our website and not to subscribe. So again, Substack People is for hosting only. It is free for us and it's better than what our host uses. So it's just for our hosting. Do not subscribe to Surveillance Report Substack. Techler has its own Substack that we actually are using and I encourage you to subscribe to. Surveillance Report Substack, do not follow it. And finally, I know that you cryptocurrency nerds will enjoy this, but I did add a Monero open alias. So people can send us Monero now without needing to scan the QR code on the screen or even like go in the description and copy and paste our Monero address. Our Monero open alias is monero at surveillancereport.tech. This will work in any wallet that supports open aliases like Cake Wallet. So if you use Cake Wallet, instead of scanning anything, you just open Cake Wallet and just type monero at surveillancereport.tech and then everything should auto-populate and you can send us whatever you want. So Um, If you want to try that out, you can try it out by sending us some Monero. Those are the updates. Um, If you experience any downtime during any of this, uh, thanks for working with us, but everything should be good to go now. And this makes everything cleaner and more polished for really everyone. It makes it easier for us to manage and hopefully it's better for all of you and we're always trying to do things in a way that balances like our time, your time, making things somewhat privacy-protecting, and so hopefully this strikes all the right balances, and there you go. All right, let's start with the highlight story. Apple is tracking you even when its own privacy settings say it's not, new research says. A lot of you are already like, well duh, it's Apple. And it's like, well, okay, we need research and we need ways to actually verify this kind of stuff because that's what this whole podcast and that's what we honestly all should be doing. Now, the research is interesting. So let's listen up here. The app store appeared to harvest information about every single thing you did in real time, including what you tapped on, which apps you searched for, what ads you saw and how long you looked at a given app, and how you found it. The app sent details about you and your device as well, including ID numbers, what kind of phone you're using, your screen resolution, your keyboard languages, how you're connected to the internet, notably the kind of information commonly used for device fingerprinting. Now here's the kicker. Opting out or switching the personalization options off did not reduce the amount of detailed analytics that the app was sending. This research was done by MISC, and that's what MISC said. MISC also said they switched off all possible options, namely personalized ads, personalized recommendations, and sharing usage data and analytics. Here's where it's a little bit more nuanced and maybe things aren't as bad as they sound. The researchers said that the health and wallet apps, for example, didn't transmit any analytics data at all, regardless of whether the iPhone analytics setting was on or off. Whereas this kind of tracking was found in Apple Music, Apple TV books, the iTunes store, and stocks. Most of the apps that sent analytics data shared consistent ID numbers, which would allow Apple to track your activity across those services. Misk also says that these findings are kind of out of line with standard industry practices, even with companies like Google and Microsoft, because he and his research partner ran similar tests in the past looking at analytics for Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge, and in both of those apps, they say that when you turn analytics off, they actually don't transmit this kind of data. They also finalized this by tying this back to Apple's market which is they're saying it's not tracking unless you're linking together data collected from services owned by different companies, which they're saying is Apple's stance because if only one company, Apple, is collecting the data, then by Apple's definition, it's not tracking. But if third parties are doing it, then it is considered tracking, which is a very different definition than other people seem to be using. So here's my takeaway from the story here. First, This issue wasn't equally applicable across all Apple services. It does seem like this was mostly happening in the Apple applications where there can be advertising or there's a clear revenue model like Apple Music. With that said, more sensitive things like wallets and health actually transmitted none of this information, which you're probably not going to find in many other services out there. And it seems like the researchers only found this kind of tracking inside these applications, so this doesn't seem to be an OS-wide problem, fortunately. At least no more than we already know Apple collects on an operating system level, which doesn't seem to be anything super intense. The ultimate issue here is there's no way to opt out, and the opt-out actually does effectively nothing. And this kind of outlines, once again, Apple's definition of privacy is to prevent third-party tracking, but not first-party tracking, which is something we say back here pretty darn often. My concern here, obviously, is the opt-out doesn't do anything, and it should. And my long-term concern is, now that we know Apple collects this information in mostly apps with advertising, and Apple has also announced it is trying to enter advertising more, will we see more of this tracking on Apple devices and other applications? Time will tell. Again, even Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge seem to respect the toggles not to track you. With all of this said, and before you throw your iPhone out the window, I like to add perspective on this. It's been found in other research articles that even first party data collection is collected less on iPhones than Android devices. So I wouldn't be pushing people away from iPhones for this reason alone unless they're able to move to some kind of open source custom ROM or some other alternative, because frankly, Google is still a lot more invasive than Apple on an operating system level, and it comes with less aggressive stances towards third parties accessing your data. So I I would argue out of the box, iPhone versus stock Android, it's still a downgrade if you move to an Android device. I'm very curious to see how Apple responds to this, especially now that <laughs> surprise I didn't bring this up the whole time. There's actually a class action lawsuit against Apple filed in California accusing Apple of violating the Californian Invasion, the California Invasion of Privacy Act. So Apple's lips have been absolutely shut about this entire story, but they can't be shut forever. There's now a lawsuit. So this story should get juicy when Apple decides to open their mouth and talk about why this is happening and Um, why there is no transparency behind it. And really, the real issue here, again, we can't ignore the real issue. The opt-out doesn't do anything. If the opt-out did something, this would be kind of a non-issue. Again, like the default by tracking, yeah, we wish it wasn't happening, but like if you can opt out of it, generally, that seems fine. The real issue is the opt-out and why the opt-out does nothing. Let's go ahead and move into data breaches for the week. The first one is from TransUnion, which is one of three credit agencies in the US. On Monday, TransUnion reported a data breach. It's still unknown how many people were affected in the breach, which is something that you think would be good to know. But TransUnion said that the data breach resulted in names, full social security numbers, financial account numbers, and complete driver's license numbers being compromised. TransUnion has sent letters to all affected parties. Letters, I hope that those are digital and not physical so people can respond to them quicker. But they have sent letters to affected parties with instructions to help protect themselves from identity theft and fraud. So keep an eye out for that if you are in the U.S. If you don't receive anything, you're probably fine, but it'd be nice to have any kind of perspective on how widespread this issue is. Next story, the DFE or Department of... For education in the UK was found responsible for a data breach from the ISO or the Information Commissioner's Office. Again, this is all in the UK. So what happened here is there were children details on something called a Learning Record Service or an LRS database, which contains information on young people from the age of 14. It is used by schools and higher education institutions for recording a student's learning and training achievements. It's operated by an agency which falls under the DFE. Here's where things went wrong. A screening firm, Trust System Software UK, trading as Trustopia, (laughs) they always have these these great names for these services, um, was given access to the database and used it for age verification because they're so trustworthy. However, it offered the service to companies, including GB Group, one of the country's leading data intelligence firms, which helped gambling companies confirm customers were 18 or over. So this is a massive breach of trust, and unfortunately, really no consequences came out of this. They really just got a public scolding. That's about it. And it's very unfortunate because the DFE has had several issues the last few years, so maybe we need to find better solutions than scolding them but what do I know? And our final data breach of the week, MetaBank warns customers their data was leaked by a ransomware gang. This is still unfolding. For those who have not been following, this was a ransomware attack that happened about a month ago that we're continually giving updates on back here. Australian health insurance giant MetaBank has warned customers that ransomware group that the ransomware group behind last month's breach has started to leak stolen data from its systems. The data includes things such as names, addresses, date of births, phone numbers, email addresses, Medicare numbers for customers, and in some cases, passport numbers for international students. That's really it. They're pretty much just letting whatever happens, happens, and doing their best to respond to the situation depending on what the attacker does. I'm going to quote their advice, customers should be vigilant online and take the following measures to block any attack attempts, which includes being alert for phishing scams via phone, post, or email, verifying any communications received to ensure they're legit, not opening texts from unknown or suspicious numbers, changing passwords regularly with strong passwords, not reusing passwords and activating multi-factor authentication on online accounts, and MetaBank will never contact customers asking for passwords or sensitive information. And they say to subscribe to Surveillance Report to catch more updates. I might have added that one myself. Now, moving to companies, we have a few Google stories to cover. We're going to start small and kind of work into it. So the first one, Google's bringing its VPN to Mac and Windows PCs. Google One subscribers on premium plans, two terabytes or higher, can now download VPN apps for Windows and Mac OS, allowing users in 22 countries to mask their IPs on desktop and reduce online tracking. This was previously mobile only for those who've been listening to the podcast. We've covered the VPN service in the past. I actually don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but there are definitely better options, and if you want to see what those options are, I suggest going to techloretech slash VPN to see what they are. Up next, Google says surveillance vendor targeted Samsung phones with zero days. So this entire research and investigation was done by Google Project Zero, which regardless of your stances on Google, is a super cool Project that makes everything a bit more secure. The most recent development was this Samsung specific attack, which was part of an exploit chain to target Samsung phones running Android. The chain vulnerabilities allow an attacker to gain kernel read and write privileges as the root user and ultimately expose a device's data. Ugh, man, I never know how to say the chip name, but I'm going to go for it. So the exploit chain targets Samsung phones with an Exynos chip running a specific kernel version. Samsung phones are sold with this chip primarily across Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, which is likely where the targets of the surveillance were located. The flaws were exploited by a malicious Android app, which the user may have been tricked into installing from outside the app store. The malicious app allows the attacker to escape the app sandbox design to contain its activity and access the rest of the device's operating system. The takeaways for this are very simple. Stay up to date and avoid untrusted third-party app stores. That's a pretty universal rule for pretty much anything not even specific to this. And the final Google story, actually the final... Story of the week. Well, the next one's still a Google story, but it's in the research section. So there's a lot of Google news this week. But the next one, Project 11. Google is quietly working on a wearable device for preteens as it chases a surging number of younger tech users. This is exactly what it sounds like. They're trying to build a wearable via some kind of Fitbit type thing for preteens called Project 11. With that said, the project has a long way to go with a launch set for sometime in 2024. They say the goal of the device is to help older kids develop healthy relationships with their phones. They also said the device could include safety features that would let parents contact their children and know their whereabouts. It is also worth mentioning, one employee said the device was set to launch sometime in 2024, but employees also emphasized that the project had a long way to go and that plans could change. And that's coming from Google, who's infamous for dropping projects like nothing. So we'll see what actually happens with this. I will say, personal section here, this doesn't inherently have to be a bad thing. All of this can theoretically be done in a privacy-respecting way. I'm just doubtful that that's what Google's going to do, unfortunately. On the bright side, I'm sure this will be more privacy and security respecting than a lot of the current options out there right now. But the deeper issue is still the normalization of tech at a young age, so kids will keep wearing these watches for the rest of their life, which right now have a lot of privacy and security issues, which again, does not necessarily have to be an issue, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. But given the context of all of this, I think it's valid to at least bring it up so people can be a bit concerned and just be vigilant. And research, still Google. Google Pixel screen lock hack earns a researcher $70,000. So this vulnerability meant an attacker could unlock any Google Pixel phone without knowing the passcode. Google fixed the issue with a November update, allowing the researcher to go public with their findings. Before I even get into this, update your phones, people, and always stay up to date. If you think you're avoiding something by not updating your phone, All you're avoiding is security fixes. I hate to break it to you. To get into the vulnerability, the vulnerability created a means for a potential hacker to bypass lock screen protections such as fingerprint or pin authentication and obtain physical access to a target's device. The hack could be carried out with minimal technical skills against a range of mobile devices running Android by following a series of steps. And a series of steps is just random stuff including like having a locked SIM card and then rebooting the phone and then doing the just have it. It's just a series of steps. There's nothing technical about it. It's just they accidentally discovered that they could put in a lock SIM card and time things properly and do a certain number of steps. You can look at the steps yourself if you want. This is all fixed. Because of just the bizarre nature of this attack, this isn't open to remote exploitation, which is really good news because it means someone needs physical access to your device, which doesn't mean this isn't still a problem, but it at least minimizes the scope of who can execute the exploit. So the researcher reported this to Google and Google said that the issue was a duplicate, which first off might not even be true. And we'll get to that soon. But second, if it's a duplicate, why was it not fixed? So and now we're going to get to the, the, the weird part, trying to address those questions. Um, they said that this is not normally eligible for a bug bounty because it's a duplicate and Google failed to act for some weeks before repeated chasing by the researcher. And they did a demo of the exploit to Google staffers at a Google run bug hunter event. In September so they knew about this back in September didn't patch it till November um, which is already very strange shortly after this Google said that even though the report was a duplicate it had only started working on a fix because of their submission so either Google was lying and didn't know about it in that case they shouldn't have called it a duplicate or Google was telling the truth and they did know about this and they didn't fix it both of those are pretty serious issues Um, The firm decided to pay the researcher with a $70,000 bounty for the lock screen bypass. I don't know what this response is from Google. I still have takeaways. Takeaways is um, this did seem to impact custom ROMs as well. I don't believe custom ROMs were immune to this problem. And I heavily encourage locking away specific applications once your phone is unlocked. Um, An example of this is you can lock signal and other sensitive things like your password manager with additional authentication. In a perfect world, if you can, the authentication to access the app is different than the authentication to unlock your phone. So for example, if you're able to unlock your password manager with a password, but unlock your phone with a fingerprint, you now have two different forms of authentication. So there's a little bit more protection there, but even if it's the same, it still offers a degree of protection for if your phone is ever unlocked for whatever reason, due to a weird exploit like this, or for some reason, like you have a friend who's holding your phone and they, Have an unlocked phone and then they open a different app you never know so try to just layer up when you can the last research article of the week a wi-fi security flaw lets a drone track devices through walls so wi-fi's friendliness to other devices might pose a significant threat in the wrong circumstance so in the university of waterloo researchers have discovered a security flaw in the networking standard that lets attackers track devices through walls the technique identifies the location of a device within 3.3 feet just by exploiting wi-fi devices automatic constant responses even on password-protected networks, and measuring the response times. You can identify all the connected hardware in a room and even track people's movements if they have a phone or smartwatch. Um, This is just kind of inherently how Wi-Fi works. Their suggested way to fix this is to have randomized response times, but that would take years to implement. So we'll see what happens. This is very much a theoretical hypothetical attack. Um, This is not something you probably have to be concerned about, but I would... Probably imagine this is more of a concern for people in a corporate environment, um, is my guess. Politics, very interesting section this week. First, Montana voters have approved constitutional amendment to treat electronic data as persons, houses, papers, and possessions. What this amendment means is it now requires the government to obtain a search warrant in order to access a person's electronic data or electronic communication, similar to how we treat things like homes and possessions. While a state constitutional amendment only binds state agencies and not the federal government, so This only applies to things in Montana. The amendment will also set the foundation to help protect residents from the ever-growing federal surveillance state. The way they try to justify this is the passage of the amendment sets the foundation to limit state and local surveillance and minimize the amount of personal information collected and stored by state and local governments. By doing so, it will also impact federal surveillance programs that depend on state and local support. So they're pretty much just trying to cut out what they can, but ultimately you can still be tracked federally. Either way, this is cool, and I hope to see more states adopt stuff like this, because it's really good stuff. Okay, up next, Greece. Okay, just so everyone knows, I'm not a Greek resident. I'm doing my best to keep up with this. I'm going to mostly just cover the news, because I don't have the context of being Greek. But here we go. So, Greece had an eavesdropping scandal, which started to unfold when the Prime Minister wiretapped other people. This continues to develop because the saga has morphed into an espionage thriller that has involved spyware being planted on the phones of an ever-expanding network of politicians and journalists. Athens denies having ever used or purchased the illegal software and says there must be someone else doing it. So according to a Greek paper, some 33 people have been found to have traces of this illegal spyware predator on their devices, including several members of the cabinet of the conservative new democracy government and members of their families, politicians in the main opposition party, journalists, and business people mainly from the media sector. Among the people on the list are the finance minister, the foreign minister, two ex-ministers of civil protection, the development minister, the labor minister, and the tourism minister, along with their spouses, as well as already known targets like the opposition leader, Ugh, I'm going to try people, Nikos Androulakis and journalist Thanasis Koukakis. I probably butchered that, so thank you for working with me. So that's the first part of the story. There is this spyware going around that people believe is being spread by the government, but the government denies wrongdoing. And so what happened as a response to this, Greece is now banning the sale of spyware after they have been accused of surveillance. So The Prime Minister announced on Monday that Greece would ban the sale of spyware after his government was accused in a news report of targeting dozens of prominent politicians, journalists, and businessmen for surveillance, and the judicial authorities began an investigation. It's worth mentioning that the previous wiretap is pretty much confirmed, but this whole predator thing the government is saying they're not responsible for. It has insisted that the simultaneous targeting with a wiretap and predator was just a coincidence. They've also rejected allegations that they were personally running a Predator spyware scheme. Uh, Quote, it's an unbelievable lie, the prime minister said. He insisted that Greece's intelligence service was not using Predator, but said someone outside the government might be. On Monday, he said in a televised interview, we will be the first country to tackle this problem and enact legislation that will explicitly ban the sale of such software in our country. No other country has done it. All countries have the same problem. He does have a point there. A lot of countries have this problem. Um, What's unclear is if they were the people actually responsible for using the software in the first place, and it's unclear if this ban will actually um, change their ability to use the software, because we don't even know if they're the ones responsible for it. So... Very weird story. I'm going to leave it there because um, I just don't have much context of being a Greek citizen, but uh, I know that it seems very fishy from all angles. So that's the story, and I'll let you all kind of make of that what you will. Next story, from France. Refusal to communicate the unlocking code of a cell phone can constitute an offense, rules the court of cassation. The court was called to rule on a drug trafficking case in which an appeal court had released a suspect who had refused to give the unlocking code of his two phones. This actually went back and forth for a while. There was appeals in both directions, but now the court on Monday, November 7th, ruled that refusing to communicate the unlocking code of a cell phone constitutes an offense considering that this code is indeed considered a decryption key. That's it. Um, This doesn't mean it's written in law, but it is one attack against passwords for sure. And our final political story is in India. Indian ISPs we already give government full access to web traffic. So all ILDs, which are international long distance and ISPs, internet internet service providers licenses are mandated to connect their system to the CMS, which is called a centralized monitoring system facility. And law enforcement agencies are provided facility for online and real-time monitoring of traffic. This submission indicates that the Indian government and law enforcement agencies have far wider and easier access to Indian internet users' web traffic than previously known. And access to this data is so accessible that physically visiting an internet provider's premises is no longer required for government agencies. The timing of all this is on point given India's recent attempts to outlaw VPN servers in its own country. Or I should say outlaw no logging VPN providers. They're trying to mandate logging for VPN providers. So maybe it's starting to make sense why they were requiring that. Um, The takeaways here, VPNs, people, can be a valuable tool. I say this somewhat aggressively because there's an anti-VPN world out there that I understand why it exists because um, there needs to be some kind of response to the VPNs or all-in-one anonymity tools, but people, this is the easiest way to prevent this kind of snooping. The only other way to do it is with tools like Tor, which are great and I love Tor, but it's much harder to run Tor system-wide and it's far more inconvenient to run Tor than a VPN, especially from a performance point of view. If your goal is just to stop your ISP and whoever else collaborates with your ISP, which I guarantee you happens in the US as well, um, from tracking your web traffic, a VPN helps here. And worst case scenario, a VPN puts you back where you started if it turns out your VPN's logging your web traffic. And you know what? There's actually some trusted VPN providers out there that can give us pretty good assurance that they're not logging our web traffic. And again, if you wanna see what that is, slash VPN. it's all open source, It's opt-in affiliate links. There's nothing to gain from it. It's just data. All right, only two more stories and two more sections. One story per section, people. Let's move into FOSS, free and open source. Post quantum safe VPN tunnels available on all WireGuard servers. This is coming from Molvad. So Molvad is a VPN provider. It's one of the best ones out there. Everything's open source, and they are setting some nice industry standards. And here's another example of them setting industry standards. They actually, back in July, released... As far as i know the only vpn to release a quantum resistant tunnel support but now this is available on all wireguard servers this is an experimental feature and you can't just go in your settings and enable it you have to enable it through the cli tool and it's not something they actually expect you to use it's just for testing they also say they might need to change the protocol more time so you may experience interruptions and should not consider this stable as of yet again this is not stable. This feature is still only available on their desktop apps and can only be enabled in the command line interface. So again, this is for testing, but it's still super cool to see this. And finally, Misfits. Maple Leaf Foods suffers an outage following a weekend cyber attack. So Maple Leaf Foods is Canada's largest prepared meats and poultry food producer, and on Sunday, they experienced a cybersecurity incident causing a system outage and disruption of operations. There's really no information about this, but it seems like they're minimally impacted, or at least they're downplaying it a lot. Um, So it doesn't seem like much is impacted. Again, based on what they're saying. They could be downplaying it, but we don't know. This is your reminder that cyber attacks have and will continue to impact real industries and real things in your life, including, but not limited to, energy, internet, water, food, gas, healthcare, and many other things a lot of people are reliant on. Water is a big one. Be prepared for the worst people. We're not a prepping community back here, but... In this kind of situation regarding data breaches and ransomware attacks and all of this stuff, it's probably worth your time to investigate what would happen if the internet goes out in your area, or the energy goes out, or really anything happens. And now the q and I actually royally screwed up and didn't post the Q&A on Patreon last week. Totally forgot. So there is no q and I'm super sorry to our patrons and I'm super sorry to our public listeners. Um, it'll definitely be live though this week, so by the time you're watching this, if you have a question that you're itching to ask me or Nate when he's back, join our Patreon because the Q&A is already live there right now. By the time you're listening to my words, there's already a Q&A on Patreon. So go join our Patreon and be sure to ask your questions because we'll see them next week. And that's it, people. Again, Apple is tracking you. Google Pixels are victim to a full lock screen bypass. Greece is going through some fun stuff right now and a lot more. Again, if you want to support us, join our Patreon. That is really what you should join because it is so amazing to see you all there and we can see how much we're getting every month and we can really build things out and keep this podcast free to all of you. So if you support this and you get value out of this, support us on Patreon. It's super appreciated. If you don't want to go through Patreon and you just want to support us privately, Monero is also an option. And now you can support us with just using monero at surveillance support.tech and something like Cake Wallet. Thank you for listening to the surveillance support. The final thing we want to ask you to do is to share the podcast around. Make sure you subscribe and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. We saw some of our ratings recently and they're freaking awesome. So let's see some more out there. Um, the people who already left ratings, um, thank you. They're all beautiful and thank you so much for the kind words. Um, We want privacy to reach as many people as possible. You can help us do that by sharing the podcast. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, especially if a story affects them or you know that they're going to enjoy it. Share with them just a story and maybe they'll, you know, maybe they'll care about privacy and security someday. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week.